Hey guys, welcome to the Tales of Moxie podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Lee, and I'm so glad that you're here. I created this podcast with the simple desire of wanting women to have a place to share their stories. Our stories are so powerful, and God's fingerprints are evident throughout them all. So each week, I sit down with another woman who is brave enough to share her story with us. We talk all the things with no judgment. While each story is unique to the person telling it, I find that I see myself in all of them, and I'm sure that you will too. Welcome back to Tales of Moxie. This is already season two, episode nine, and I still can't believe that I get to do this with you guys. It dawned on me this week that Tales of Moxie has grown into a place that delves into real gospel identity living, and that is all that I could have ever hoped for when I started this. I truly hope that this show serves as a place to give you encouragement, hope, and practical tips to live fully in your gospel identity. And I think that this week's episode hits all three of those aspects. This week, I sat down with author Hannah Anderson to talk about her most recent book, All That's Good, Recovering the Lost Art of Discernment. Her previous books are entitled Made for More, An Invitation to Live in God's Image, and Humble Roots, How Humility Grounds and Nourishes Your Soul. She is also the co-host of the Persuasion Podcast. We talked all about discernment, what it is, what it isn't, how to get better discernment. We talked about training your mind and about what it looks like to pursue goodness. It was such a cool conversation, you guys, and she had so much wisdom to offer. Well, welcome, Hannah, to Tales of Moxie podcast. I am so excited to have you here. I got a chance to read your All That's Good book, The Lost Art of Discernment, and I was captivated by it. So welcome, and thank you for making time for us this morning. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Like I said, I read your book, All That's Good, and I would just love to just jump right in with that and kind of see... What led you to write that book? And maybe tell us a little bit about who the book is for and, and maybe what you wrote it for. Well, you know, it's funny. I shared with an, a friend who's an author recently that I think authors write the books that we need to read. So for me, writing All That's Good was absolutely this work in trying to refocus my attention on uh, the goodness of God and how to discern goodness in the world. And I think what had happened for me on an individual level is the last few years had felt pretty overwhelming, um, pretty anxiety inducing, and just somewhere, I would say in the last three or four years, the world as I knew it, got really messy and unpredictable and unclear. And I think part of that probably is living in the digital age where um, there's just so much information coming at you all the time. You can't get online even just to see your friends without your uh, feed being flooded with all of these different opinions and different truth claims. And, And really for me, the world was becoming an increasingly chaotic, and difficult place to navigate. Um, a lot of the things that I had once knew to trust in felt like they were shifting and I wasn't sure who to hear or who to listen to or what I could, um, you know, kind of who I could trust. And what that resulted in is just this growing sense of confusion and disorientation. And so for me, a lot of the work of the book was trying to get my own head right, trying to remember, okay, what are the things that should be guiding me? What are the things I should be looking for in the world? And um, how can I have eyes that can see the goodness of God 
even in the midst of the chaos. That's, that's beautiful because you're right. And I, you wrote that in the book, but this day and age is so confusing to find out. And one of the things that you wrote in the book that I loved was that you don't really know nowadays who the experts are, which makes it even harder to discern what really what we're trying to find. And like you said, truth. So as, as you're kind of going along this journey, what led you to, to put together all that's good with discernment? And if you don't mind, maybe defining for us how you define discernment. Right. It is a funny pairing. And I don't know that at the beginning I understood what the book would eventually become. And it is not a way that we typically think of goodness. And it's not a way we typically think of discernment. So for listeners um, who may not know, the, the book is titled All That's Good, Recovering the Lost Art of Discernment. And initially, I think that gets people's kind of curiosity up. But there's also this like, what exactly do you mean? And for me, it was kind of this moment of confusion and crisis and understanding of um, living in this world where information is coming at me all the time. I need to get some kind of equilibrium in that. And so the first thing I I thought as I was uh, working through this question and moving toward a book and moving toward a manuscript was, well, we just need to have better critical thinking skills, right? This is the way we talk. We talk about it as if it were just a matter of being more logical, of just sourcing information better, if it were just a matter of having the right, you know, truth tellers. And so at first, my initial response was, well, we just need to think better. And, and that kind of got me onto the, the idea, well, we just need discernment. But as I was working through that, you know, the Holy Spirit really began to reveal to me, no, it's not just we need to have better thinking skills. That's just a really superficial answer. Um, Part of what we're moving toward when we're thinking about discernment is developing a taste for what's good, not just filtering out things that are bad. And that really came to me as I started digging into the scripture to understand how the scripture thinks about this idea of discernment or sorting through what the world is bringing to you. And it was really fascinating because a lot of times the way we talk about discernment in Christian subcultures is not the way the scripture talks about it. And it's also not the way we use the language in broader society. So one of the things I loved about this project was I actually went and got books about how would you develop discernment in art? How would you develop discernment in music? How would you develop good taste in food or in all these other spaces? Because it's really a very similar concept where you're learning to spot what is worth your investment, what is worth your time, what is worth your attention. And so we use the language of discernment more broadly to say someone has a discerning eye, meaning they know what to pick or they know what art is good or they know how to walk into a room and know how to design it, you know, or we say someone has a discerning um, palate and they can taste food and know immediately where it's been sourced or whether it's good, you know, someone who maybe um, is a foodie or has, um, you know, uh, they've developed 
their palate for wine. They can, they can taste these things immediately um, and know this is a good wine from a good year and this one was, you know, less excellent. And as I looked at the scripture, this is actually how the scripture talks about discernment. And some of the key texts that I landed on were like in Hebrews 5, where it says that um, we have been matured when we've been able to exercise our senses to discern the difference between what is good and bad. So this idea of discernment means sorting through for the purpose of embracing and finding goodness. And, and that's even the way Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about it. That's a pretty classic text that if you've grown up in church, you probably are familiar with where we're supposed to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Um, and, and it goes on to say, so that you may be able to discern what is the good and perfect will of God. And so the goal of learning and having your mind renewed and of this kind of surrender to God, the whole goal of that is so that you would know what is good and perfect and what God is calling us to. And so almost immediately as I began to recognize how scripture talks about discernment, it became really clear that that's not the way we tend to talk about it. We tend to have a lot of faulty and backwards approaches to it and slowly but surely, what began to emerge, and eventually what I hope the book does, is communicate this really positive um, call to goodness. It's not just a call away from badness or from not falling into untruthfulness or evil. It is actually a call to actively pursue whatever is good in this world. Mm. So I'm hearing two things that I want to kind of pull out that I love. I'm hearing, first of all, we're not focusing on knowing what's bad so that we can know what's good. We're focusing on knowing what's good so that we just jump into that rather than what's bad. And that makes me think of things like sin management, right? Like when we're, when we're working on managing our sin, then we, so, we, we focus so much on the sin that it happens more, right? But when we're focused on, no, we're just going to draw closer to you, Lord, then that kind of takes care of itself. That's like a byproduct of our closeness with God. So what I'm hearing you say is like when we're focused on God and we're focused on what's good, we don't really have to worry about dropping into what's bad because we'll already be seeing what's good and go that direction. Right. Absolutely. That, that is, was a huge um, change in my perspective that came through writing the book. And it, it was really a paradigm shift of saying, you know what, this kind of avoidance model is not sustainable and it won't actually result in goodness and it won't actually result in the life of abundance that Jesus calls us to. It, he, he calls us away from these things, but it's more calling us to something. It's calling us to himself. It's calling us to the goodness that God has um, in himself and in the world that he has created. Yeah, I love that. And that makes me think of the many times when Jesus actually, you know, even the woman caught in adultery where it's, there's no condemnation first, and then it's now go and sin no more. And that's a good perspective to have of like that comes second because our identity first is we are a beloved child of God. Second is we are people who sin. So that's good to, to remember and kind of put in perspective. Another thing that I was hearing you say that I love, and I hope we could talk about a little bit more is this has a lot to do with experience and training your mind. It's not something that just happens. Cause I think a lot of times in our culture, we get, we just believe like, 
I, I will hear a word from the Lord and that'll be it like right now. And that'll be our discernment. So what did you find as you're finding like, no, this is actually like, this is kind of training to know how to be able to discern. Well, one of the things that's fascinating to me as I looked into how we develop discernment in other areas. So I was looking at, you know, completely secular texts, like how would you develop an eye for quality in art or how would you develop a palate in food is if you do that, it will, at the end of the day, look like magic. It will look like it's natural to you. Yes. Okay, so someone who has had years of experience and training can walk up to um, a painting and say, this is not a Renoir. I know it is not authentic, right? Or can say, yes, this is a Renoir. And to us, in that moment, it looks like it's a gut instinct. It looks like you just have this sense. But what's actually behind that person's ability to spot the difference between a painting that is an authentic painting and one that's a fake is years of training and years of exposure to quality, years of exposure to goodness. Quality Instinct by Maxwell Anderson. And he is a museum curator. And he talks about his own training. He went through school. He studied the masters. He, he learned the history. So there was this really formal training, but it was also that he just encountered art on a regular basis. He encountered goodness on a regular basis. And so what I see, and I think that lines up with what the scripture teaches about developing this instinct for goodness is there are actual things we need to learn. We need to learn the character of God. We need to learn what the scripture says. This is what goodness looks like. This is what a flourishing, abundant life looks like. And I think that's where Romans 12, um, 2 talks about having your mind renewed. So, so you actually are changing your thinking. You're changing um, you know, how you even understand what the good life looks like. You know, maybe in the past you thought the good life meant consuming all the wealth and abundance that you could. And, you know, and scripture comes along and says, no, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And so there is this really kind of formal, yes, you need your categories changed. And the scripture is going to change what um, goodness looks like for you. But beyond that, the scripture also calls us to actually think seek out and test things that might fit those categories. So I based the book, a lot of the book around um, the passage in Philippians 4, 8, um, where Paul calls believers to go seek whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovable, lovely, whatever is commendable, and to think on these things. And there's really fascinating um, Kama's mandate that, that Paul gives in these verses and the thinking and the logic behind it is, okay, you're learning what truth looks like from the scripture. Now you need to move outside of that and move out into the world and begin to identify and encounter things that are truthful. All right. You're learning what it looks like to honor what God honors in the scripture. Now you need to move out into the world and begin to spot those things in the wild and you need to encounter them. And it's almost as if he's saying the encounter and the search for these things are going to change you. Setting your mind 
in this direction and being exposed experientially to goodness is going to have an effect on you that goes beyond just this kind of head knowledge and this mental um, shift. You actually have to have an experiential shift of goodness too, to help develop your sensibilities and to develop your ability to discern what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, and what is good report. Mm, that's true. And, and so when I, when I think of discern, right off the bat, when I think of discernment, I think of, like you were saying, experience and almost an education or a training. But I also think that, you know, there's a component of like our spiritual gifts and, um, and even, you know, somewhat of instinct and feeling because I, I think of, I was, as I was preparing for this, I was reading different things on discernment. And one of the things that kept popping up was women who had been assaulted right before they were assaulted they said I had a feeling like they, they had somewhat of a feeling. So how do you kind of tie in the experience and the education and all of that, but also say there is this slight little piece that maybe there is something different and supernatural kind of going on in us. How do you tie that together? Well, I think one of the things that those kinds of words describe, you know, we got to ask, what do we mean by instinct? What do we mean by feeling? What do we mean by Holy Spirit guidance? You know, and I think some of the things we're trying to give words to when we, when we say those things are the way our brain or our soul is operating almost unconsciously. And I think what we're describing on a good, healthy level is if you have been training your mind, if you have been training your body experientially, when you encounter something, there's going to be this momentary sense where your instinct kicks in and you respond before you even recognize that you're responding. And that's just a, a healthy, good, that, that's a natural phenomenon. And we talk about women's intuition sometimes, right? Where mm -hmm. women will say, I just knew something was off. And, and it's such a, um, an established category that we actually call it something. And, and we see it as something that men don't have. So we say women's intuition. And the science behind that is that women's brains are actually taking in information and processing it um, the way that we do at a very multitasking level. So there is a biological basis for what we see as this kind of secret knowledge mm -hmm. that we are actually taking in a whole lot more information than we understand. And our brains are processing it at a level that we're not necessarily conscious of. So I think that is a really um, clear thing that happens. The difference is those instincts can be trained and those instincts can be guided. So when we're talking about, oh, I just have a feeling or I have an instinct that this is good or this is bad or I have something's off, that's a legitimate experience, but it's only as good as the training we've had previously. So we're basically training our minds and our bodies to react before we know what is actually going on. And so I think if we have been in a place of conforming our thoughts to scripture and conforming our experiences to things that are true and lovely and good and all of these other things. I think we can rely on our feelings and instincts in a moment and give attention to them and say, I'm not sure what's going on here. I can't quite put my finger on it, 
But because I've done all of this other work at the front, I'm going to trust this instinct because I know that I've been training my mind to think a certain way. And there have been multiple times in my life where I look back and I dismissed an instinct because I thought, well, I can't explain this with fact Mm. or this I don't have, I can't argue it to someone else. And so I dismissed it completely because I felt like it was just a feeling. And later on, that instinct was proven that it was pointing me in a direction that I should have gone. Now, alone, it wouldn't have been enough to make a decision or to validate it for other people. But because I had been in this process of, of, um, you know, submitting myself to God, submitting myself to the scripture, I probably should have paid more attention to it. And at the very least, I should have taken it, held it, and honored it for what it was and waited to see how things played out rather than just dismissing it out of hand. So I do think there is absolutely a sense where what we experience as an instinct or a feeling could be a really valid part of the process of discernment insofar as we've been training ourselves outside of that moment. Um, I also believe for sure that the Holy Spirit does gift some people with the capacity to discern spirits and to discern a moment. We see that in the scripture for sure that there are members of Christ's body that just have this additional insight and the rest of us are standing around saying I don't see what you see and that's the whole point (laughs) like that's the whole point of interdependence in the body of Christ that a person who has been gifted with additional insight from the Holy Spirit may not we may see it later than they do and they may see it before us and that is exactly why they've been gifted with that That doesn't mean that they have the right to run ahead or to judge other people based on the insight they have. It means that they have been given that insight and that clarity for the purpose of supporting the work of the body. So what they do is they bring that back to us. And it's kind of like the scout that has gone ahead of the group. And they've said, I'm not sure what's up there, but I see this coming. And and I'm not sure, but we need to be prepared that this is a possibility. And it is not up to the scout necessarily to make the decisions that the general makes. It's not necessarily up to the scout to tell everybody else what to do. But a good, healthy community will listen and will listen to the scout and will and will give space for the fact that the Holy Spirit might be revealing something to them that the rest of us don't yet have knowledge about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so neat. And one of the things that, um, and you had said, sometimes you'll hear or you'll feel discerning and maybe not act on it. Um, mm-hmm. That's such a good point because I think we oftentimes think like, well, I discerned that situation and I went with it, but there is the ability, we do have the capability of discerning something and not acting on it. So when we tie those two together, like discernment is a step, but then like the next step is the actual action piece. Um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, as I, I was, as I was listening to you saying that, I was thinking, so wisdom then is almost like a step off of that, right? Like that's the bigger picture of all of it together. How do you tie discernment and wisdom kind of together? 
Right. So I kind of see discernment as a subcategory of wisdom. It is a particular form of wisdom. So wisdom in the scripture is essentially the ability, the humility, the capacity to navigate the world in a way that leads to your flourishing. So it has some really practical dynamics to it. You know, you look at the wisdom literature in the Old Testament and sometimes Proverbs is just really upfront, like make no friendship with an angry man. Just don't hang around angry people. So there's there's a lot of clear practical wisdom in the scripture. And it's all based on this submission to Um, God as the source of knowledge and wisdom. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what I understand discernment, how that relates to wisdom is discernment is kind of a subcategory of that, that allows you to identify what's going on. It allows you to recognize, okay, this is an angry person or this is a, a, you know, a mature person, or, or this is a situation I shouldn't be in. But that's different than the actions that you follow up on. And I think that's what you were alluding to, where you can recognize, okay, I can see the behaviors in this situation, I can see the tendencies with this organization, or I can see um, what's going on here, but then what I choose to do about it or how closely I align myself or how I relate to it. That's where we're talking more broadly um, about wisdom and decision-making. So discernment really is much more narrowly defined in scripture as the ability to know the difference between what's good and what's bad. And then beyond that, there are other processes of determining, well, what are the proper boundaries? Okay, so if you're in a relationship that you determine lacks truth or it lacks justice or it lacks purity, and so you're, you're following that kind of thinking, okay, I'm beginning to discern that this is not necessarily a healthy relationship. Well, what do you do with that? That's where maybe the next step of wisdom is, do I need to put boundaries around this? Do I need to distance myself? Can I distance myself? And if I can't, how should I live within it? And that is more practical lived wisdom. But it begins with just having the eyes to see the difference between, yeah, this isn't a healthy relationship. And a lot of us, I think, even lack that clarity sometimes. Yeah. So as, as, as you said, practical, as we're trying to maybe start this journey and for someone who's listening, that's maybe thinking, I don't have any discernment and this is a really tough topic for me. What is maybe a practical first step when they're hearing us talk about training your mind and experience and things like that? What does maybe a first step actually look like if they're thinking, I don't know where to start on this journey? Right. Um, surprisingly, that is actually the first step. The first step is acknowledging I don't have this and I need it and I'm kind of lost. Um, The way scripture talks about discernment and as it relates to wisdom and the other facets of um, our ability to make decisions in this life, it begins with humility. It begins by saying, I don't have it all together. I maybe don't know. I'm not an expert on this topic or God has good wisdom to give to me. And and we can't even receive the wisdom that God has for us until we recognize that we need it. And that's what 
Proverbs talks about, it's what James 1 talks about, that um, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously. And the the old King James says, who ab- upbraideth not, basically means he's not going to give you a hard time for asking. He's not going to shame you or embarrass you for your weakness and your lack of wisdom. So I think the very, very first place to be, and it's a really, really healthy place to be, to say, I don't understand. And that sounds simple, but if you look at the world we live in, if you get on social media, you spend any time with other people, that is a very rare character. Mm-hmm. It is a very rare trait for people to say, huh, I'm not informed enough to have an opinion on this news article. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that just doesn't happen very much. So I would say take comfort in the fact first that you're even there that you long for wisdom and you have, God has given you the grace to recognize where you lack. I think the next thing um, that the next step would be to understand that wisdom comes from God, that it comes from a source outside of ourselves, um, that we actually have to receive it from another place. And, And the scripture talks a lot about how human wisdom God's wisdom and human wisdom are not the same things. And the things that we think make sense don't necessarily make sense in God's order. Um, So I think recognizing that we're going to have to have outside input and it's going to come from scripture is going to come from the church, um, you know, healthy church community. I want to make that distinction Mm -hmm. because I know that there are plenty of places going by the name of church that are not actually healthy communities that are seeking goodness together. So I think it comes from the scripture. It comes from healthy community. It comes from trusted counselors, people that have lived their life with Jesus who are mature and kind and exhibit his, the fruit of his spirit. Um, and, and that's a good place for us to just begin to turn our attention. So it's even little things like asking for advice. It's knowing someone who you can look up to and say, hey, I've been thinking through this. Do you have any perspective on this? It's going to the scripture and beginning to let our categories be changed to the categories that God has and letting having the willingness to let go of the ones that we maybe we thought um, made sense. So as I'm listening, I'm hearing that this is something that maybe could be in a form of like discipling, like something that you can, you can walk with someone and be almost discipled or mentored, I guess is another word in this kind of thing of, no, this is someone who shows good discernment and who has that experience and that training. So it's someone that maybe I can learn from in that way. But I like that you said trusted and healthy, because one of the things that I think, um, for myself anyway, in discernment is there can almost be a sense of maybe spiritual bullying on, I heard God say this for you. And then when someone frames it and God gave me this for you, it makes me feel like if I don't do this, then I'm going against God now, right? Like it's not just, I'm not taking your advice. It's now I'm going against God. So I, I think that's very important to kind of be cautious of who we are letting walk that journey with us because as you're saying this experience and this training is something that if we get the wrong experience and wrong training we're going to go in a different direction right and i think one of the things that i've learned 
marks a person who is trustworthy is they are not arrogant. Um, they are not certain of themselves and they are willing to say, huh, I'm not sure. Let's work through that together. Mm-hmm. Let's figure that out. You know, the scripture talks about um, humility, the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom um, and that fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I think we can apply that to ourselves, but I think we should also apply it to the people that we follow because one of the things that happens in this conversation around discernment, and I've seen it over and over and over again, is that you're exactly right. People will gain influence and power by saying, I'm going to be your guide. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you where the boundaries are. I'm going to be the one to tell you, do this, don't do this, listen to them, don't listen to them. And when a person assumes that level of influence and power, in many ways, they are taking the place of God and Mm -hmm. and they really are not submitted to God. And if you follow them, you may submit yourself to them, but you won't be submitted to a source of wisdom. You will be submitted to another person. And so a mature healthy person who's going to be able to lead you to wisdom or discernment is a person who themselves is first submitted to God. And you can see clear marks of humility in their life. And even if they disagree with someone else or they say, Oh, I don't think this is necessarily the way to go, or this might be a problematic choice. They say it with maturity and kindness and with an eye toward goodness and wholeness and union. It's a grief to them to be able to point out something that may not be from God. It's not something they delight in, and it's not something that they use to build their own credibility. So it is a very, like you said, there's a potential for a lot of bullying or authoritarianism in this conversation because it is a way for some people to exercise um, lordship or authority over other people by saying, I'll be your gatekeeper. I'll tell you what's wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. And that's important to remember because I know for me, um, I, I like community. So this is when I'm hearing you talk, this is something that I'm thinking like I can do in community. And that's important to remember that. And, and like you're saying, our relationship with the Lord comes first. And so even I want to encourage listeners, even if you're at that very beginning and you've said, I don't know, if you're in the scriptures, there's going to be a part of you that is going to know. So you can get training and you can get ex, you know, experience and things like that. But there is that little piece. If you're in the scriptures and you're connected with with Jesus, we, we will have some sort of discernment. Absolutely. And, and you had mentioned earlier that this is like a discipleship or growth process. And it absolutely is. Um, this is the discipleship perhaps of, of our minds and our decision-making process. You know, there's lots of forms of discipleship that we go through um, for the different aspects of our life. And there are verses that talk about having the mind of Christ And as we grow in our ability to, in our Christ-likeness, as we grow in truth, as we grow in purity, as we grow in these other things, all that God is, it's naturally going to come into our decision-making and our ability to see things the way Christ would see them. And so when we talk about 
the spiritual formation that's happening in discernment. It is not just about getting the right answers yeah. or making the right choices. It's becoming the right people. It's about becoming people who can walk into a situation. And because we have been so transformed by Christ through his Holy Spirit, that we're beginning to see that situation the way he would see it. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's, that's important too, in the sense of that showcases, this isn't a journey that ever really stops, right? Like how, how have you kind of seen this now that, you know, you've written a book on it and you've gone this journey. What does it look like now for you in your life? Yeah, for me, it is a constant um, struggle for goodness. And, and I think that's what got me started on this journey was to, to develop eyes and a heart that longs for goodness, that can see it um, in this world and in my life. And, and I think for me, again, it's not that you arrive, but maybe that you have a paradigm now to work with, that you come to a situation and you're overwhelmed by the chaos or you're overwhelmed by the decision-making process and you don't know which direction you should go. Oh, that's right. I'm supposed to look for goodness. Hmm. that's right that's supposed to be my guide okay now in this moment where am I seeing goodness where am I seeing people um, and things and decisions that reflect the nature and character of God all right I'm going to go toward them they're the people I'm going to move with Um, and so for me it isn't like you just automatically get this right Mm -hmm. it's more about changing the way you approach the, the whole process. It's, I'm looking for goodness. I'm looking for experiences of God in this world. I'm looking for things that line up with who he is. Yeah. Which is a, a journey for our entire life here on earth. Right. And that's, that's something that I know for me, I always want to be able to, okay, I've done that. I've, I figured that out. And it's not something that we always, we will f- probably ever figure out on this side of heaven. Right. It's not so much a linear path. I think a lot of times we think of our growth as linear so much as um, it's not circular, but we're going around and around in ever increasing um, closeness to the center. Um, In the book, I use the illustration of a record where you put the needle Mm. on the outside edge and it slowly turns toward the middle and each pass around the record, it comes closer and closer and closer to the center. So for me, spiritual growth is much more like that, where I'm relearning a lot of the same lessons. And hopefully each time that I make that pass, it will be closer to the center. So as I'm listening and I'm I'm thinking, again, as the listener who wants to be practical on this, does this look like some sort of I hate using the word quiet time, but like some sort of like making sure that you have, you're intentional on seeking out this in the scriptures. Does this look like being in the scriptures every day? What does this maybe look like? Well, um, one of the things that I suggest in the book just in passing, and I, I wish I had maybe developed it more, was I think if you're really intent on developing this kind of discernment and wisdom, one of the things you can do is just dump yourself down in Proverbs mm-hmm. and just spend a lot of time there. There, there was a, um, a, I believe it was a poet who was talking about how you develop 
um, discernment in literature. And again, I had gone to all these secular sources to say, how do you just develop discernment in art and in food? And this particular person was talking about um, developing discernment in literature, and his name was Joseph Brodsky. And he said, you know what you need to do? You can't read all the books. You can't read everything that comes out on the New York Times bestseller. So what you need to do is you need to read poetry for a couple of months and your mind will be shaped by poetry to know what good literature looks like. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something about just spending a lot of time in the book of Proverbs um, to say, okay, let's get real practical here. Just let this seep into your mind for a couple months and you will be surprised how your understanding of the world shifts when you lift your head up from that space. So if a person was really intent on, I want to know discernment. Yes, you need to read the whole Bible. You need to read all that God has given to us. But if you're doing like a real intensive, I would say dump yourselves into Proverbs and just spend several weeks there reading over and over and over and over and over again and let your mind be shaped by the categories there. Um, I also think it means on a very simple level, delaying your gut response, delaying, taking enough time to give yourself time to process what you should do. And I think we live in a world that's very fast paced, especially on social media. You get online, you see stuff, and we are rewarded for fast responses. Mm -hmm. We're rewarded for the like or the comment. And so there's this whole structure around us that is propelling us toward instant response. And I think if you can just learn, even just to say not yet, and give yourself time to think, and to process, that's a really important kind of tool to developing discernment. And, and it's not just in social media. It's any time you have to make a decision. Give yourself the luxury of time. A lot of times people will want immediate responses from us, and we feel like we have to give them. Can you do this? Can you be here at this time? Can you meet me here? And my husband and I have both kind of learned to say, well, let me check with my spouse. Let me check with Nathan. Let me check with Hannah. And that buys us the time we need to determine whether that's actually a good thing that we need to bring into our life at this point. So I would say read Proverbs, read Proverbs, read Proverbs, and learn that it's okay to pause before responding. Give yourself the time to actually discern. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for, for kind of hashing all of this out with us and, and answering all of my questions and, and talking this topic over with me. If people want to find out more, um, I'm going to put the link to your book in the show notes, but where can they find you, um, what you write, what you're about, where can they learn more about you? Um, I have a website called sometimesalight.com and it's mostly, um, where I aggregate uh, articles that I've written for other spaces. I do a lot of work in cultural commentary, um, things about vocation, about family formation. Um, so I write a lot of articles for other spaces, and they all get dumped there eventually at sometimesalike.com. I co-host a weekly podcast with Aaron Straza, and that podcast is Persuasion. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's persuasionpodcast.buzz. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook um, under Sometimes a Light on Twitter and Hannah Anderson on Instagram. So I'm out there. Um, there should be links um, from 
my site uh, to all those places and it's sometimeslight.com. Okay. And I will put that in the show notes. Thank you, Hannah, so much for making time for us. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. It was great. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want quotes from each episode or want to find and reach out to the awesome people interviewed, please find us on Instagram under at Tales of Moxie and follow us for all the details and for info on who will be on the show in the weeks to come. As always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me at talesofmoxie@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I love hearing from you guys. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.